0: nvidia has been holding its gtc developers conference in which um, it as always has rolled out a lot of new developments a lot of new products a lot of exciting new technologies and among other things uh, this time around has announced an architecture um, named for the computer science pri- pioneer grace hopper uh, so there is a hopper gpu and there is a grace cpu now um, that the company has rolled out let's bring in Uh, the CEO, Jensen Wang, to talk more about all of this. Um, Jensen, it is great to talk to you again. Thanks for being here. Um, So as we look at, in particular, the designs named for Grace Hopper, both parts of it, can you talk to me about the main applications that you're looking for uh, in terms of how these chips are going to be used?
1: Our use case is artificial intelligence. Artificial intelligence, as everybody knows, uh, is uh, really taken off and at the at the foundation it's a new way of writing software software that no humans can write and software that is written in a very different way. Whereas we used to write software, we still do Uh, uh, programmers would write software on a laptop and Uh. uh, it would create a program and we would we would test it and ship it, but in the with artificial intelligence. This new form of software takes a ton of data, just a ton of data, finds patterns and relationships among the data, and automatically learns the structure of that data. It's called representation, how to represent, for example, a cat, or how to represent language, uh, words, certain words, And, and it has the ability to learn that automatically from the data that you give it. It's called deep learning. And so this new way of developing software requires a lot of computation and over the years uh, the last 10 years or so it's really taken off and uh, we've created a brand new generation called Grace Hopper or hopper is the GPU grace is a CPU the Harper, uh new GPU makes it possible possible for us to learn using this new form of artificial intelligence model called a transformer that has made it possible to learn natural language and computer vision in, in an incredible way and in the future robotics and other types of artificial intelligence will be made possible because of it.
2: Jensen, I want to ask about the, the GPU and you have 80 billion transistors packed into this thing. I guess at what point does the silicon become, you know, outdated to a degree where you have to start moving on to new types of technologies? Is that something that, you know, NVIDIA is actively looking at? I mean, I'm sure it is, but you know, at, at what point do you think, you know, the advancements that are able to be made on this kind of uh, hardware become too great for that and you have to move on to something different?
1: Plenty of time. Plenty of time. It is a- absolutely the case that uh, transistor scaling is slowing. We're getting more transistors, but the, the effectiveness of the transistors, which is for the transistors you get, the mon- money that you pay for it. Uh, that pace of advance has slowed tremendously and so we're going to have to we're going to have to design computers in a very different way now of course very uh, uh, the very good circumstance of uh, the world using cloud computing has made it possible for us to build very large computers and so if, if if you think about a lot of these wonderful services artificial intelligence capabilities like language understanding or speech recognition or You know, we we're putting all all of those AI models up in the cloud and uh, in the cloud, you can make computers as big as you like. And in fact, if you look at the computers that that uh, we announced today, uh, it has it has incredible size. Uh, For example, 80 billion transistors. We have eight of those chips in one system. And then we take 32 of those systems and we put it together into one giant GPU. They work like one giant GPU. So instead of, instead of just 80 billion transistors, now look at the scalability we get. Now we had to go invent a whole bunch of new technology to make that possible, new software to make that possible, new type of interconnects to make that possible, but we could still, we could scale, we could scale computing because of um, uh, the technologies that we have for quite some time.
0: Um, and when we talk about the sort of two parts that make up that Grace Hopper suite, if you will, The other part, the grace part is a CPU, which is um, sort of a new kind of offering or a newer kind of offering for you guys. Um, Does this open you up to new clients or are you selling it sort of to existing clients just in different applications?
1: This is our first discrete CPU product. And we designed it for, for a very new time. If you look at the way the CPUs were designed in the past, uh, they were designed for what is called single-threaded applications and applications that were written by humans, and uh, and uh, and so, so it has a particular style nature to it. Uh, the type of the type of software that's written by computers starts with a lot of data, not a normal amount of data. I mean mounds of data, and from that mound of data, it will grace will go and discover the patterns and relationships. And so what Grace is really incredibly great at is single-threaded applications It's incredibly great at, but it's incredibly great at moving data around. And so the, the data bandwidth, the memory bandwidth of Grace is many, many times, many times higher than what's available on, norm, on modern CPUs, normal CPUs designed for data centers. So it's designed for the era of artificial intelligence. It's really designed to be the CPU of AI.
0: And so again, sort of, not just as a specific product, but what does this symbolize for you in terms of opening up new and different markets?
1: Well, we, we're you know for the very first time we're selling CPUs. Yeah. Today we connect our GPUs to uh, available CPUs in a market, and we'll continue to do that. You know, the, the the market's really big. There are a lot of different segments, um, and the different segments of the market has different characteristics. There's a lot of software in the world to run. And so we'll we'll work with uh, whatever's the best CPU or the the CPU that the market likes best um, for all of the different markets that we serve. However, for this one area, an artificial intelligence or scientific computing, the amount of data that we have to move around is so much. Uh, So this gives us the opportunity to offer a a revolutionary type of product to uh, an existing marketplace for a new type of application that's really sweeping computer science uh, that's called artificial intelligence. So this is a new growth market for us. However, you know, if you think about our company today, uh, it's really a data center scale company. We offer GPUs and systems and software and networking and switches, and, and so the entire data center, the entire data center, whether it's for scientific computing or for artificial intelligence training or inference, the the, the app, the deployment of AI. Um, or uh, data centers out at the edge, or all the way out to uh, an autonomous system like a self-driving car, we have data center scale products and technologies for all of that. And so the CPU now adds to that data center scale uh, strategy and um, gives gives us another, another technology component, if you will, where we used to have two, now we have three, three of the, the three essential pillars of computing. We have all three pillars to be able to make and configure uh, uh, data centers and computers for, for the market.
2: Uh, Jensen, I wanna ask about the auto business. You, know, you guys have been moving into that uh, for some time now. Uh, and you know, at, at this GTC, you announced Hyperion 9. Uh, you discussed some of the partnerships that you have. And I know that you've previously had Hyperion 8. So you, can you kind of break down to us the, the big difference between Hyperion 9 and Hyperion 8, and what are you know, kind of the, the, the main differentials between them?
1: In both cases, what what
2: Hyperion is
1: about, what NVIDIA's architecture is about, is really about centralized computers. Instead of hundreds of little embedded controllers, each with their specialized functionality, we're gonna centralize the computer to a fewer chips, and we're gonna make it possible to do things like artificial intelligence and autonomous driving. And so number one is centralized. The second, it has capabilities for AI and AV. And the third, is because it's completely programmable it is software defined so now the car is like if you will a connected device like a phone it's like a connected device like a smart tv you could you deploy it um, on day one and it's useful on day one but over the entire life of that product in the case of a car is 20 years it stays on the road for 20 years for that entire time on the on the road the software gets better and better and better and better and better and so On the first day of deploying the car, you have to put a lot of computation into it because it has to stay on the road for so long and gives us the opportunity to develop software for it for two decades. So that's number one is that the 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 architecture of Hyperion, the architecture of NVIDIA drive is really about software, programmable, AV and AI that's centralized in computing. The second, what makes uh, nine different than eight is we have more sensors more, more cameras, more ultrasonics, um, higher resolution cameras, uh, more lidars, and so we have the ability now to cocoon the entire car with even higher fidelity and higher sample rate uh, sensors. We used to sample at 30 uh, frames per second or every 33 milliseconds. Now we sample. In the future, we'll sample at 60 frames per second or 16 milliseconds. And so, if you can sample faster meaning you can see faster, you can respond faster. And so so the difference is really expanding the operating domain of autonomous capabilities. And whenever we are in autonomous capability, we can enhance the safety of it.
2: I I know that it can go up to, the the capability is there for it to go up to level four with level five being, you know, Jetson's future, uh, cars driving themselves, maybe total recall. Is probably the better one but you know I guess at what point do you see that happening with with level 4 do you see that coming sooner rather than later and I guess what will need to happen for the technologies to get to that point is it is it as you said that kind of learning that they need to do to, to pick up uh, the abilities to do that
1: we designed Hyperion uh, with with two foundational pillars um, uh, for 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 continued improvement in ODD and safety. The first one is redundancy and diversity. In order for any system, for any system to be resilient or robust, you want more redundancy, meaning you do the same thing in different, uh, using uh, multiple configurations, and you want diversity. You want to do it, in fact, even a different way. And so uh, organizations have it, uh, society has it, large systems have it, they, they naturally become uh, redundant and diverse. In the case of redundancy and diversity, we use radar, uh, surround radar, we have surround camera, and wherever we need very long distances, uh, we back it up with LiDAR uh, in some configurations. And so we'll add more and more of those three types and ultrasonics. So the, between those four sensors, and on top of that, the HD map, where our fleet of cars are out there mapping the road, you, you have basically five sensors that are um, covering for uh, each one and providing you uh, diversity and redundancy. The second part is to put as much computation as you can into the car and by doing so your software can get better and better and better and better. And so the car itself has the necessary hardware on day one for diversity and redundancy. And the software would just get better and better over the course of 20 years, um, so that you could cover an increasing number of operating domains that are level three or level four. And so right off the bat you should have a lot of a lot of domains where you could be level two, where the person still has to pay attention. Um, But uh, over time, you know, starting with maybe traffic jam, uh, you could have traffic jam autopilot where you can go take a nap if you like, Uh, of course, uh, there's already level five where you can be out of the car uh, by summoning the car without the person inside. Um, you know, so there are a lot of different different operating domains where you could have uh, re- where you have complete autonomy or even driverless. Uh, and, and that just keeps expanding over time. Uh, and, and the two pillars, uh, basically, is you need to have the sensor architecture for diversity and redundancy, and then you need to have a lot of the computation so that software can get better over time. Jensen,
0: um- The auto business gets a lot of attention. You guys have talked about it a lot. Obviously, it's also easy for people to wrap their heads around and they're excited about it, about taking a nap while they're in traffic, which is obviously an attractive proposition. It's still a relatively small part of the business. So in the last fiscal year, it earned a little over a half million dollars in revenue compared with a couple of $10 billion businesses you have in data center and gaming chips each individually. You talked about um, during this conference an $11 billion pipeline of auto revenue, but that's over six years. So I'm curious what we can expect in terms of acceleration. When is that going to become a billion dollar business line, for example?
1: Considering where it is at the moment, it's very small, as you mentioned. Um, From where it is, in order to do $11 billion over the next six years, it's gotta ramp pretty fast. And so this will will surely, automotive will surely be our next multi-billion dollar business. In addition to that, Julie, the the thing that's really, really cool about our auto business is that that you could think about autonomous vehicles, uh, not just as the computer in the car, but remember, in order to develop AI, you have to have an autonomous computer in the data center. And so there there are really four computers that you need, and the four computers kind of break down like this. You need a computer that is doing the mapping for, for, for the fleet. Ultimately, the memories of the fleet. The map is kind of like the memory of the fleet. It's got to be, and this mapping system is a is a is a computer, and it's reconstructing from all the routes of the car, uh, of the fleet, uh, a collective map. So the mapping, uh, data, the map map is done in the data center. Second thing is, you need to train the AI. The training of the system. That's what where NVIDIA really started in AI, and that's what the DGX is for. That's what the Hopper is for, um, and. Uh, training of the ai the third is before you deploy uh the fleet into the road you would like to have a digital twin of that fleet and the reason for that is before you're constantly inventing new software you're constantly inventing new algorithms before you put it on the fleet you really want to try it on on a virtual fleet and that virtual fleet is called a digital twin and that's what omniverse is built for omniverse has also a data center So I now have four data centers. The data center, if you will, in the car, plus three other bigger data centers, one for mapping, one for training AI, and one for the digital twin. In the $11 billion, I didn't even mention the other three pillars. And yet every single car company that wants to go into AVs will have to do all four pillars. And and so the way that we architected our, our, our solution and uh, and, and our product offering, we make it possible for companies, whether they use our computer in the car or not, to benefit from N- NVIDIA's entire workflow, from digital mapping, from HD mapping, to AI training, to digital twinning, um, all the way out to deploying it into the car. And so the $11 billion is going to be a, a, quite a significant business for us just in the car. But if you look at the totality of AV, I think this is gonna be one of the largest AI industries in the world.
0: Wow. Um, And I know we talked a lot the last time we spoke with you about digital twins, which is such a cool idea. I want to switch gears a little bit, Jensen, um, because I think we have to talk about the ARM deal not happening a bit. February 8th, you guys called it off that $40 billion uh, deal to buy ARM. There was a lot of regulatory uh, resistance to that, obviously. So now as you go forward, I'm wondering where you might see other gaps in the business? Where do you see other potentials for acquisitions, for bolt-ons, for areas where NVIDIA can add growth from outside of itself?
1: Organic organic growing is is NVIDIA's kind of natural way. You know, no company has ever been built like ours. Uh, This is is the first computing company uh, that has been built to be the size based on one fundamental architecture. we innovate from chips to systems, to system software, to the, the libraries of science, all the way up to artificial intelligence applications like self-driving cars. And and we we serve we serve markets that stand that start from client computing, personal computing, all the way to workstations, all the way to supercomputers and cloud. Very few companies ever, have ever had this this breadth of technology and depth of technology to be able to serve. Uh, such large markets of computing. And so we, we built that all largely, largely um, organically. Whenever, whenever there are franchises, um, platforms that, that you simply can't recreate with, with you know, it's just it, once it's created, you just can't recreate it. Like, for example, the reason why we bought Melanox is because their networking platform is the best in the world. You're not going to recreate that it's not about the fact that you have ethernet chip or ethernet technology we know how to build ethernet um, uh, it's really about the fact that they they built the foundational technology they've integrated it into the world's it industry and all of the world's software stacks uh, depends on the work that they do and so that's a, kind of the example of a of a platform has a rich ecosystem around it um, in the case of arm that that's another perfect example. You're not going to recreate ARM. That's one of the reasons why it was it was uh, uh, s- such an attractive company uh, for us to own. Now the fact of the matter is, uh, we're going to build ARM. We're going to build ARM CPUs, and and uh, we have we have a couple decade long license um, to build ARM. We have a great partnership with them. Uh, the the um, uh, all of the work that we all of the the energy and the time that we got to spend together helped them understand Help them get excited about uh, the data center business and uh, high-performance computing. And, um, and Grace is a, a great example of that. Um, you know, I think, I think they, they, uh, they realized the, the wonderful opportunity ahead with, with data centers. And I, I think all of that activity helped make ARM a multi-vector CPU company, instead of just a, a, a cell phone company, mobile, mobile, mobile device company, they now do a lot more. They, they're a lot more interested in. Um, they're going to be a lot. They're going to be very successful in data centers, and we're going to we're going to surely partner with them to, to do so. And and I think that that all of that energy was well channeled. And and so I I'm I'm a, a, you know of course disappointed that that the transaction didn't happen. Um, but uh, our two companies now are uh, are off racing into into uh, the areas that that I had hoped that we would go into.
2: Uh, Jensen, I want to talk about the, that hack that happened, the Lapsus hack. Uh, it's not just NVIDIA that they had obviously targeted this group. Uh, they'd gone after Microsoft, uh, Samsung. And we were hearing reports that Okta was also involved. And it didn't sound like uh, NVIDIA had given into their demands uh, to kind of lift the restrictions on cards for crypto mining. So I guess, where does NVIDIA stand on that? Uh, and you know, how, does, how does it deal with this going forward? Is there fears that they'll you know, dump additional information or anything along those lines?
1: Well, we're I'm I'm, I'm uh, really really uh, um, I, I disturbed that that it, that um, uh, hacks like this could happen, and and uh, it was a wake up call for us, and it it um, accelerated intensified um, uh, some areas of vulnerability that that uh, quite frankly every company has, and and I'll talk about that the the, the path forward in just a second. Um, but fortunately, we didn't lose any any customer information and any any sensitive information. Uh, they got access to source code, which which uh, of course we don't like. Um, but uh, nothing that nothing that is harmful to us. Um, but the thing that the thing that it it highlighted is that uh, and and this is something that I know well and that we're building technology for. It's just that we need to we need to we need to finish building the technology. The the industry needs to adopt it. Uh, so that so that third-party uh, cybersecurity technology and solutions can come back to us that we can buy uh, to to uh, make our company fundamentally what is called a zero-trust architecture. Uh, the fact of the matter is is um, uh, the intrusion tends to be you know internal. It tends to be uh, somebody wandering around your hallway, somebody who who uh, has access to to a fair amount of of uh, privileges, and and so. So we we uh, we need to we need all be a uh, what is called a zero trust architecture company, and uh, and so we're we're accelerating our path to do that. In the meantime, there's all kinds of things that we could do. Uh, I think that uh, multi-factor uh, authentication is important. So long as we don't, uh, so long as as nobody gets fatigued by it, um, you know, it takes it takes a couple of authentications to get in, and so people can get tired of that. Uh, and so so during now now this has happened to us. The, uh, the discipline around it, the, the rigor around it is, has, has, has gone through the roof, which is fantastic. But long term, uh, we have to make it possible for, for uh, uh, our data center to literally be completely wide open, completely exposed, and yet be completely secure. And so the, the path to, the, to, to a zero trust uh, data center uh, starts with the technologies that we're building. And so I've got to go build that technology faster. All the way from Bluefield, uh, the, the the DPUs um, that does that does uh, security to uh, the switching architectures that we have, the software stacks that we're creating, as well as this new AI uh, framework we call Morpheus to do uh, uh, real-time uh, exhaustive ins- ins- inspections of anomalies on the network in your data center. And so we have to bring we have to really bring accelerated computing into into the enterprise uh, enterprise traffic and. And we know how to do that, and I just got to go do it.
0: Um, so I know we want to cover a lot of different topics here. So I want to I want to switch over to supply chain also, because obviously that's another very hot topic right now. Um, and if you can just kind of give us a status report on that front, right? It seemed like from, from you and from most of the other um, semiconductor industry folks, you were talking about it sort of alleviating over the course of this year, There are a lot of moving parts in the global economy right now, not least of which is what's going on in Russia and Ukraine. So I'm just wondering um, where we stand and how that progress is going.
1: Supply chain uh, will be uh, supply chain will be tight for us uh, for some time. And the reason for that is because our demands so great. If you look at our our company's growth, if you just look at our company's growth, uh, the world's total supply did not grow that fast. And, and yet NVIDIA is growing uh, quite fast in, in multiple, multiple directions. Uh, of, of course, our, our um, gaming business is quite large and the gaming dynamics are fantastic. There are more games, more gamers than ever. There are more ways to game. Games is not just games anymore. And and so um, so the d- dynamics around uh, and, and we invented this brand new thing called RTX that that can completely reset the install base of computer graphics and so so computer gaming uh, the dynamics is 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 really fantastic and that is growing incredibly well our professional graphics business is, is growing incredibly well because uh the world needs two offices now uh, all of us more than two offices we need one at work and we need one at home and so for all the designers and creators and uh all the people who are who are using nvidia uh, technology at work now needs to build a home studio, if you will, a home lab, if you will. And, and, then, and then our data center business is growing so incredibly well, and, and uh, the autom- automotive business is growing well for us. And so, so we have multiple dimensions of growth, and that puts a lot of pressure uh, on our supply chain at exactly the time uh, when, when um, uh, the world supply chain is, is uh, if you will, uh, uh, difficult. And, and so, so I think that the answer for us Uh, And the things that we did last year, and I'm super proud of it, is is while keeping up with uh, this incredible demand, uh, we put in place a much more diverse, much more expanded supply base from uh, from the number of process technology nodes that we support. Uh, We support a lot more process technology nodes now to substrate suppliers. Uh, assembly suppliers testing suppliers, all the way to our system integrators, the number of partners that we've expanded into not just because we're, we're a lot larger now than than the past so we had to do that anyways, but we doubled down on that, so that we could have a lot more diversity, I think diversity and an expanded supply base for us uh, is going to be one of our strengths and and uh, I'm really looking forward to to uh, growing into the year. Um, but I, I expect that demand will still exceed supply.
2: And just, Jensen, as, to take it back to GTC as, as a last question, I want to ask you about, you know, you had mentioned the concept of the, the digital twin and this concept of Earth 2.0. Can you just give us a, a basic rundown of that and kind of when you expect us to really see it? I know that it has to do with climate change. So how does that kind of function?
1: It's hard to make decisions about um, important things if you can't somehow simulate the outcome. It turns out that most of us have this ability to simulate the outcome of of, of the different things that we do. And that's how we have a mental model of the world. And within that mental model of the world in our brain, we simulate the decisions we make and we come up with a plan or an action, uh, a plan that we can act on. Well, it turns out that in the case of climate science, the, the science itself is hard, and the and yet we all know we all know that climate change is is a, is a is a uh, a social matter a, a human matter a global matter of extraordinary levels and yet, how do we decide what strategies and decisions that we make and what what uh, uh, what uh, adaptation strategies or mitigation strategies that we have or what, uh, biolog- what new uh, digital biology technology that we can put in place or Uh, Carbon capture technology that we put in place. What is going to work, and by when, and how much? If you can't predict that, it's really, really hard to make trade-offs on what strategy is better, and whether some strategies should be taken in advance of other strategies, Um, and where do you, where do you, uh, ultimately distribute the investment funds uh, for any particular country or 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 for, for that matter, company? And so we we thought and we we believe this that that the answer is to have a simulation of the earth and that's sufficiently high fidelity that you could test various mitigation and adaptation strategies at a regional level uh, somebody in in southeast asia could decide whether we need to build up uh, the necessary dam so that we can protect the mekong river because we believe that somehow in 30 years or 15 years uh, the, the, the level is going to be so severely depleted that the food source in 70% of Southeast Asia will be in harm's way or that uh, the decisions made in Venice was going to be sufficient uh, to uh, keep that city uh, out of harm's way long term. And, and so, so the, those kind of questions, those kind of questions uh, and the technology, the investments that you want to make, uh, needs to have a simulation engine around it, and so, so here comes the challenge. In order to be able to make those decisions and simulate those possibilities, we need a supercomputer that's about a billion times faster than the one, the largest ones we have, a billion times larger. Well, um, you know, unless we do something extraordinary and apply new technology, which is simply not going to get there, we're not going to be able to have a simulator for the Earth uh, to test our theories against until it's too late and so we've got to find a way to bring in that and so so we're going to do this we're going to invent three fundamental technologies the first fundamental technology is the nature of the processors that we need to do a new type of algorithm it's called physics machine learning using artificial intelligence we're going to teach an artificial intelligence physics not normal physics but multi-physics you know, of course, as you know, the, the, the earth has a lot of physics working uh, 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 simultaneously. Uh, ocean physics and atmosphere physics, and you know, there, there's cloud physics, there's all kinds of and there's the land physics, and they, they're all playing into uh, this overall uh, outcome of, of climate. And so we, we, need to, we need to create an AI that can learn physics. And once we can create that AI that can learn physics, that AI, could make physical predictions based on the inputs, the human drivers we give it, the inputs, for 10 years out, 50 years out, 100 years out, 200 years out, to give us a sense, give us give us its best prediction of uh, the decisions that we make. So the first thing that we, we have to do, there's a new type of processors we have to invent. The second is a new type of algorithm that we have to go invent. And then the third, we have to build the largest digital twin computer the world's ever built. And this, this, the it, it's, it, its within NVIDIA's um, scale to be able to do something like this easily. Uh, however, this is the only supercomputer that's ever been built that runs 24/7 because it's a digital twin of the Earth. And then we'll put that computer in the hands of scientists, researchers, uh, companies, countries, uh, for them to do simulations against, so that they know the implications, the impact of the decisions that they make. And so that's. I think this is gonna be one of the, the great challenges in computer science. I think the, the, uh, the journey, uh, just as going to the moon was, the journey uh, will invent a whole lot of derivative science that I can benefit from uh, all of, uh, in, in, in other places uh, uh, in the meantime. And then hopefully, hopefully in the next several years, we put something in the ground that, that uh, could, could uh, really make a big change, a big impact on, on the outcome of the planet.
0: That's well, it. as usual, Jensen, you've blown our minds. <laughs> <laughs> That's usually, this is now the second long conversation we've had with you, and I think you're, you're two for two on that front. Jensen Wang is the CEO of NVIDIA. Thank you so much for spending some time with us today and walking us through what you guys are cooking up there at NVIDIA. Appreciate it.
1: Julie, Daniel, great to see you.